This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's another Ducks win, which means obviously it's another Forever Mighty postgame show because we're 3-0. Eddie, um, what a game, man. I, I mean, for the most part anyway, right, Till we get to the third period. Well, that's what it seems to be like in, in pretty much every game lately. The Ducks get up to a, a pretty decent lead or, or even just going into the third period with a lead, and then they just get caved in in the third period. And, and I guess it's not just recent either, right? I mean, it's kind of been like that since the start of the season, even since everybody got healthy, really. No, it's true. I mean, the Ducks are playing the uh, the Metro leading Washington Capitals, Ovechkin, and so it's not like they have a team full of nobodies. This is a good team, um, but the Ducks came out strong, uh, especially in the first period. But uh, some pregame notes before we get started here on the game recap. Uh, JT Brown, Antoine Vermette, and, and uh, Francois Beauchemin have been scratched. Giddy with a start in net, and then the pairings that we've come to love and adore the past uh, several games, Fowler, Montour, Manson, Lindholm, Pedersen, and Bieksa. Um, that, I really like those, and we'll have to get to those uh, later in the show. But uh, we got to talk about the first period. It was uh, interesting because the Ducks got off to an, uh, a quick start with a power play goal by Henrique, assisted by who else other than the hottest uh, players on the team with Ricard Raquel and Getzloff getting the assist there. Nice to see Henrique put one in there, uh, even though it's on the power play. I think he's his uh, his line has kind of been silent, so it was nice to see Henrique get one there. Yeah, I, we talked about that on the last show too. How uh, you know Kessler's line has stepped up. Obviously, Raquel has been one of the best players for the Ducks as of late, and for him to, I, you know, like you said, it's not it's on the power play, it's not on his line. So I guess you can't say the, that line has got things going again. But it's good for Henrique's confidence, and, and again, I mean, his shot comes through again. He snipes it top corner. Um, on Holtby, and he kind of has a surprising shot. Uh, you know, he he gets pretty good accuracy on it. We we've, we've seen it a couple times. The one that always comes to mind for me is the 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 goal against Winnipeg, where he sniped it off the the right circle against Hellebuck, which was almost just a perfect shot. And he kind of surprises you, and I think he surprises a lot of goalies with that when you don't really expect it coming from a guy like that. No, not at all. And how about that power play line? I mean, this yeah. the way they decided to tool that up with Fowler, Montour, um, Getzloff, Raquel, and Henrique up there. That's a really, really formidable power play unit. I feel like that was you got to give the pat on the back because we have several games in a row for the you know the Ducks coaching staff being able to uh, trust those blue liners out there on the power play because Montour hasn't been getting those looks. It's usually Getzloff up there as the quarterback. Yeah, and and it's kind of nice to see Montour get used in the role we've expected from him. And I guess it's it's worked so far that the power plays at least look somewhat better, which I guess isn't hard considering how how poor it's looked uh, pretty much all season. But yeah, it, it is nice to see Montour get paired on his strong side up there with Fowler and having two defensemen work the work the blue line, and it's something that we really haven't seen, which is odd. I, I mean, because Getzloff kind of has that role 
on the first power play unit where he's always really played the point. Uh, and now to switch that up, it, it kind of adds something fresh to the Ducks power play. And we wouldn't have to wait long, man, to uh, <laughs> to chalk one up for who's going to get a point on our leaderboard here for the uh, Forever Mighty Three Stars. Kevin Bieksa gets a penalty there against the Caps. Good enough on the Ducks there, able to kill it off. Not much of a Caps power play. Um, but there was a couple of chances early on. Backstrom ended up having a wraparound. Ovi was uh, in, a, in a prime position to turn around and rip a shot a la Corey Perry, as Perry did a couple of games ago. But Ovi just kind of whiffed on the shot, luckily, which was a good thing for Anaheim because the puck would go the other way. And then my boy, Hampy Lindholm, gets one up, up from the blue line. He gets his 10th on this season, man. Not much hope he could do on this, right? It looked like it was deflected by, I think, Kempney in front. Or yeah. Kessler, but they gave it to Lindholm, so I'm assuming it was Kempney in front, and uh, hope he gets beat. It's two nothing Ducks. Yeah, there was, it really wasn't much, like you said, he could do on that. It's kind of just a floater, kind of reminiscent to Pedersen's goal a little bit that we saw the other day, where people thought it was tipped in front by Derek Grant, and it kind of just finds its way past the goaltender. And yeah, there there really wasn't anything Holby could do. And it's great to see Lindholm get to to ten goals again this season. He's kind of been quiet offensively, but he still has twenty four points in, in I think he has fifty four games now, which is impressive for a guy you don't really look at for his offense. And we're gonna get into a discussion about Lindholm a bit later. But uh, you had mentioned the the FM three stars and. Uh, Almost nobody, surprisingly, picked Kevin Bieksa as the first penalty. The consensus seemed to be Nick Ritchie. I think like 80% of the people that we had, we had like about 35 people, and the majority of them picked Nick Ritchie as the first penalty. So pretty much everybody got that one wrong. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, everyone's kind of forgot about Bieksa recently. He hasn't made any highlight reel uh, mishaps in the Ducks defensive zone, so people kind of forget he plays sometimes. Um, but then Richie would, uh, you know, get one on the board too for the uh, getting a, a dumb penalty. Hope he grabs the puck out of the air and I mean out of the air and then brings it down to uh, his pads to cover it up. And Richie, for no reason, to slash his Hopey's glove causes a little scrum. So people were off by one. I mean, yeah. I mean they were close, <laughs> almost, almost. Bieksa well, you know, he's going to uh, take a dumb penalty at some point. So I guess it was a safe guess for people to pick him as the first one because he wasn't far off from getting it. No, no, it's true. I mean, Richie can't go a game without it. I mean, I, I, I like his style of play for the most part. It's too bad he is not getting, you know, living up to that potential he's got offensively. But you can always count on him for a dumb penalty as, as, or, or a good fight. He hasn't dropped <laughs> yeah. the gloves in a bit, but he can, he can scrap. Um, the rest of this period was kind of an odd one. The Ducks seemed to have pressure uh, when they were scoring, I guess. But, I mean, it just seemed that it was mostly the Getzloff line that was carrying the load for most of the game. Um, Carlson would get a chance. It gets deflected off the post, and if not for a diving fouler, that was probably a tap in there uh, for the Ducks on the penalty kill, or, or yeah, for the Caps in the power play rather. But uh, the Ducks would get out of that with just a you know a couple of scary moments, nothing too crazy. Two nothing Ducks, shot seven seven, and I don't know about that crowd. Did you get that yeah, on? You... I know you're watching it via live stream, but yeah. uh, it was the Caps broadcast on NBCSN. And I saw several people mention it on Twitter, but the crowd was just quiet. Other than when the Ducks scored, I felt like the the arena was just felt dead. Yeah, you mentioned that me like several times throughout the game, and I was 
watching like two different streams of the game and I didn't really notice until you brought it up but yeah it, it seemed a bit quieter and and I guess you kind of notice it a bit I mean if you're watching the, the the Ducks feed most of the time when it's not on NBC I think they boost the volume of the crowd a bit and that plays a bit of a role in it but yeah it, it was kind of dead there which is weird the Ducks were up two nothing playing good against a, a strong team in the Metropolitan Division in Washington and it's almost dead and, and I mean, it was like that the whole game. It, you know, the Ducks ended up winning four nothing, but it wasn't a, an exciting four nothing win. It was kind of one of those boring four nothing wins where the Ducks have two okay periods where they get some goals and then they hold on for the third period and where they get caved in. Uh, and it just, yeah, it just seemed like one of those games. No, nah, it's true. Um, I was even texting people at the game and they said, "Yeah, it's kind of quiet, but it's just mostly empty." It's probably just because it's not a rivalry night, you know. It was yeah. just kind of like it's another game on the season. Let's get to the playoffs. It's probably what everyone kind of felt like on this one. Um, going into the second period, it was again early pressure by the Caps, and Orpic makes one too many passes, gets broken up, goes the other way. Who else, my friend? But Ricard Raquel mm-hmm. that would turn the circle, roof it on one. I think Holby would want back. Uh, yeah. Getzloff gives the feed to Raquel. And it looked at like you know at first glance that he just ripped that top corner, but it kind of caught in the crook between the glove and the body on uh, or like the shoulder of uh, of Holpe. And he even looked down at his glove like, "Whoa, I missed it." Just kind of an odd play, but I mean, the guy's on fire. It's hard to stop Raquel right now. Yeah, I mean, he is the hottest duck for sure. I mean, definitely on goal scoring, but he's got six goals over his last four games. Couple that with two assists, so he's got eight points. He's he's scoring at two uh, two points per game rate right now. He, it's nice to see him get back into it because we were talking about not maybe about a week or two ago how he was kind of slumping a bit after playing strong uh, and for him to get back and, and, and play this well and contribute in every game is essential for the Ducks. I mean, he's, he's two away from 30 and, and he'll most likely pass his career high that he set last year in 33. Uh, and we talked about before, again, that, that he kind of just continues to improve season by season. And that's what you look for. Uh, and a young player, and, and he's just going to set career highs this year, and, and we've talked about maybe he could be that 70-, 80-point guy in the future consistently for the Ducks. That would be nice. They could really yeah. use one of those, I mean, considering, I mean, after the drop-off from Getzloff and yeah. what was Perry, as we've talked about before, they kind of need that that second echelon to come up and perform at that. Um, but on that goal, Holby would get pulled in favor of uh, Grubauer, who comes in, Holtby with just uh, six saves on nine shots, gives up three goals. I don't know what he could have done on that second one. Um, I mean, the power play one's a, a, just a nice high slot chance by Henrique. And then that third one he probably should have had. But I think more or less this is kind of like a wake-up call uh, to the Caps to try to get them back in the game. Um, and they would certainly put on an onslaught for the rest of this game. But it seemed like, uh, I mean, Tom Wilson all over the place, too. He seemed like he was involved in the play a bunch. Burakovsky involved in the play a bunch. But Ovi, just so many narrow misses, and that's what I want to get to here. Four on four, Niskan into Ovi. He missed that, just barely misses a redirect into the net. Um, the Ducks would get another chance. It kind of seemed like maybe something was going to go here for that fourth line with Kelly and Chimera with a two-on-one, but the puck kind of bounced on Kelly when he had, you know, at the moment of truth to put it in the net. And that's kind of the way it would go. And we no more scoring that period, but how about the scare with Gibby? Tom Wilson, known for uh, his peskiness, and he's a big body guy, drives the net, collides with Gibby, and funny enough, he's the guy who gets hurt. Yeah, and it's kind of sad that we actually have to be worried about those types of plays on a consistent basis because of the injury history of John Gibson. I mean, we were talking about one Vanek 
fell on Gibson in the Columbus game. How you know you kind of you're kind of worried every time somebody falls on him or he gets up slowly that he's going to be out for a couple games. And you know we weren't really worried on this play, but you never know with the Gibby's history and you know especially the the last injury he had with Riley Smith barely, barely clipping him from behind. Anything can can really hurt him at this point. So it's worrying. And but it's it's Wilson, like you said, who's the one who ends up getting hurt on this play. He leaves the game. Uh, did he come back? I don't. Yeah, he came back. He came oh, back. Yeah, okay. He came back. Oh, oh yeah. right, yeah, yeah. He, he stirs he had, it up a Montour. Yeah, oh yeah, right, yeah. Okay. But I mean, I you can't much. really fault Wilson on that play either. And you know, it wasn't like Gibby was you know stretching to make some ridiculous yeah. save, and he was you know off his angle and caused an injury on himself. Like these things where people fall on a goalie. It's not the goalie's fault. I mean, you, I mean, injury proneness doesn't really you know, factor into those plays. You just kind of feel like anything happens around that crease. You just worry just because of his history. Yeah. But I mean, nothing Tom Wilson can really do. I mean, you got to drive right. the net when you're a big guy like that's what you get paid to do. Yeah. And, and Manson you know, pushes him too. Right. So he, he kind of, a gets little, a, yeah, yeah. Enough of enough to at least put him off his feet and, and push him into, into Gibson. I, I don't think Wilson's really trying to get out of the way anyway. He's not the guy that really tries to get no, out of no, the way. No, not at all. But he gets a little, a little bit of a generous push from Manson. Uh, Burakovsky would be all over the place. Like I was talking about him earlier, he gets several chances. One from the high slot that Gibby just—I mean, just you got to hand it to him, man. He goes, he goes, tries to pick him high blocker. Uh, he goes up with the uh, that save there, blockers it off to the corner. Uh, another, you know, toe save there by Gibby on there on that uh, next play going around the boards. I felt like the Ducks were just on their heels at the end of the second period, and then this is where I felt like we were going to see some nastiness. Maybe the crowd would pick up as Montour comes in. And what appeared to look like he tried to crush Tom Wilson along the boards in front of the benches, he misses, and Wilson kind of gets ticked off because that's his kind of game and goes and tries to goad him into a penalty. Um, but Montour's not dropping the gloves. Wilson's a, just a giant behemoth of a man where Montour, yeah. I mean, not a tiny guy, but he's not a scrapper He like doesn't that. crush anybody. Like on a regular no. basis, he definitely doesn't crush anybody. And on the replay, I felt like it wouldn't have crushed Wilson. I felt like he just yeah. missed, and because he was going fast, it kind of like he clipped and fell. Yeah, but it just looked worse than what it was. I saw the replay; I'm like he wasn't like trying to do anything dirty or, or catch Wilson in a bad spot. But uh, Wilson obviously takes exception to that. His team's down. Um, the Ducks get out of that second period though, up three nothing. Shots fourteen to six. Caps twenty one to thirteen overall in the game. And you're going to notice for this third period, it's just honestly, man, more of the same, right? I mean, yeah. I don't know what the Ducks' deal is, and they just they decide to coast in the third period. I know we talk about it, but it used to be the second period they kind of fall asleep, then they were the comeback kids. Remember that a couple seasons ago? This third period coasting, though, I, I, do you think it's like a system thing, or do you think <sighs> it's on the players that are kind of getting worried? We, we can never really explain why they were so bad in the second either. I, I mean, it's always just it, we kind of just accepted it as something that's going to happen. And, you know, we've speculated it could be coaching, could be the players, could be the atmosphere in the locker room, and then they come out and they, they always played bad in the second. Now, lately, it's been the third. I mean, they've been able to hold on. They've gotten caved in in the last few games in the third period, but they're able to hold on, which I guess is the difference. They're not giving up a lot of goals, even though uh, they're, they're bleeding a lot of shot attempts. But, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't really know what it is. I think it's a combination of them all, really. Uh, I don't think it's one thing. It has to be kind of a bunch of things combined. I think the Ducks just get a little bit too comfortable. That that that's kind of what I feel it is. If they're up two or three goals going into the third period, they they kind of just coast essentially, and they they think they can just go, 
like coast their way to a win because it's already happened. And you know, if you do that come playoff time, that's when it's really going to hurt you. I mean, they've gotten away with it, especially in this game. I think they got away with it. The Caps had had some really strong strong pressure in the third period, uh, and if it wasn't for Gibby, this isn't a shutout for sure. How many times have we said that this year? If it wasn't for uh, Gibby, if it yeah, wasn't for Gibby, a lot. and I'm not, <laughs> pretty I'm much not every to, win. <laughs> I'm not trying to rain on the win either. Like I feel like that's where my head's going because yeah, you know that we, you know, the Ducks are winning right now. They've won, I believe, seven of their last nine. So they're back in, a, you know, in a play, in playoff contention. They're in second place in the division right now. They just leapfrogged up right behind Vegas. But it's just kind of curious. They don't have anyone left off this roster that is not playing besides Patrick Eves that's injured. There's no reason for this type of stuff in the third period. And that doesn't go well when you get, you know, outchanced 14-2 to in your own barn, up 3 nothing. And this is a team with, like with tons of firepower. You can't sit back like that. Eventually it's going to come and bite you. I hope that there's something that the coaching staff or something in the leadership in that room, they know that Bob Murray loves so much to put in that locker room, is able to kind of tweak a little bit or fix a little bit of that because i know it's common um you know to have uh you know the game when it, when the teams are up like this it doesn't just happen to the ducks yeah. right it happens to teams everywhere there's kind of they're up they don't take chances they, they sit back but it just seems maybe because we watch them so closely yeah. that they just take a beating in the third i think it's because we watch them more closely i, I feel like like you said if we watched a couple like some other teams more closely you would see it probably more often uh, and it would be more of a reoccurring thing, but but one thing to note that you brought up earlier too is is Ovechkin was kind of just off in this game. I mean, he was still his normal self, had a lot of shot attempts, had some decent chances, but he wasn't looking that dangerous for a guy who's leading the National Hockey League with forty goals right now. I mean, I was expecting a lot more from him and really Kuznetsov, and arguably for most of the game they were non-existent in the Capitals' chances, and it was a lot of other guys getting things done for the Caps. Obviously, they don't get any goals, but I, you know, I'd have to look at who played against that line, those two players the most, but somebody either shut them down or it was all on John Gibson. I think a lot of it was Gibby for sure, but, I mean, Gobi did have some missed chances, but yeah. that third period, was that ice was so tilted that I think you really have to put a lot of the credit on Gibby to make that to make that game um, a 4 nothing win is... The fourth goal would come from Nick Ritchie on an empty netter, which is nice to see another one of uh, Hen- or Henrique get an assist on that too, right? So he ends up getting two points on the night. That line, um, that was an even strength empty netter. <laughs> if you want, <laughs> if you want to chalk it up as something special, they're back. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, they're back. All we need is, is Kasha to get in the mix there with the goal scoring, and they'd be all set. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's a matter of time. I and mean, we, we kind of knew they would regress a bit. Because they were dominating, they were the only, really the only line for the Ducks that was generating offense for about a five to ten game stretch there, uh, closer to the trade de- deadline too. Because people were talking about Richie, and, and you and me had looked into the fact that you know Richie was actually playing pretty well over that stretch, but they haven't really needed to be called on as much now with Raquel Perry and Getzlaff playing so well. And kind of the reemergence a bit of Kessler's uh, Silverberg and Cogliano. We didn't see them too much in this game as we did in the last one, but they were still okay. They were they were they were a pretty decent line in this one. A little bit better than what we've seen for the majority of the season, which is nice to see that they're trending upwards. No, it's true. So that's that puts a cap on the game. I mean, I mean, I shouldn't even yeah. say that. No pun intended, right? I mean, four nothing Ducks win. <laughs> it's like a boy shots to win. four. 
Yeah, it was. It wasn't like this exciting running gun game I expected, you know, from the Caps. I mean, maybe that's the Ducks defensive system that kind of clogs them up. Yeah. Um, but I really just feel like it was Gibby. And uh, that was the reason why this game wasn't closer and the Ducks didn't look like they needed to take a ton of chances. But the Ducks get out of it for nothing. They leapfrog there in second place. Hard to believe it's only Gibby's second shutout of the season with how well he's played. But considering the way that he's had to gut out wins in games, I guess it kind of makes sense. Yeah, it, it it does, and and a lot of times he doesn't get a lot of help in those games where he probably should get a shutout, and then the Ducks have a bad turnover, and it ends up leading to a goal. Uh, that seems to be the thing that happens to John Gibson a lot, unfortunately. But I mean, it's great for him. I mean, he deserved the shutout in this one for sure. He was by far the Ducks' best player. I think you can argue a bit for for Ricard Raquel and how we, well he played in this game. But there's no way it's a shutout or, or it's even this far. Uh, of a score line if, if John Gibson is in the net playing the way that he's playing lately. I mean, he's won, what, is this his sixth straight win now for the Ducks? I think they, they had said in the broadcast he was five straight wins uh, for him, and now it's up to six, which shows you how well he's playing as of late, and this will help boost his numbers. He was already at a 9.25 save percentage, so I'm sure this is going to help and it's going to boost his goals against average a bit, which kind of adds to what we talked about last uh, on the last show with his... Uh, Maybe in the discussion for the Vesna if he can continue to play like this. Yeah, but you got to get those wins, and he's yeah. got to win out, right? The rest of them to be pretty, in the conversation. Yeah, pretty much, he's got to yeah. get over 35, 40 wins. Um, but a guy that I want to talk about now that we've wrapped the show and kind of went through the little bit of the stats, um, I, I got to talk to you about that fourth line real quick. Yeah, uh, and those I should have said those guys, meaning Chimera and Kelly. Um, they are not playing as many minutes as maybe we thought that Bob Murray and Randy Carlyle would trust him with. Uh, I mean, Grant has obviously been trusted along this lineup all over the place, as we talked about him last game because he had a couple of points. Um, what's your take so far on Chimera and Kelly? Now that we've seen them a bit, it's been a week. Um, I liked their their first game. I think they were better than what I expected them, especially being paired together on the same night. I didn't expect Chris Kelly to be in in that game. Uh, and then they were both together, and it wasn't as bad as you would expect. But, I mean, in this one, Chimarron's are playing 655, 5 on 5, and, and not much more in all strength. I think he had like a couple, about 20, 20 30 seconds uh, on the penalty kill. And then Chris Kelly ends up playing 737, 5 on 5. So they weren't getting a lot of opportunities, and it seemed like that trust uh, that, Bo- that uh, Bob Murray had talked about for this line wasn't really there in this game. And and I don't want to say it's unfair because I don't think they've played bad. I don't think they they've really been a, a sore spot for the Ducks. Obviously, not a, a line that's going to generate a lot of offense. But um, I, I guess you could say, kind of to sum it all up, they're they're kind of what you expected of them. They're not going to be flashy. You're not going to see too much of them. They're only going to play six, seven, eight minutes a night, uh, and they're going to really just do a do what they're out there to do: four check hard, play physical, play against the other team's fourth line. But the only thing I think it comes into question is is once you get up against those teams who actually have a, a skill fourth line, and then you've got Chimera, Kelly, and Grant against a line that actually can put up some offense. I don't so much mind Chimera. I just haven't really noticed Kelly yeah. at all. I mean, at all. One chance. I, I, time he's on the ice game. and I hear it, just don't see anything. Yeah. But did you really expect to, to hear a lot? 
about Chris Kelly and, and how he's contributing to the Ducks. I don't think anybody really did, especially when he when he was first announced being signed. I think a lot of people thought he was going to start in the American Hockey League, and then he ends up being, I guess what you I guess you can say he's essentially a starter now for the Ducks. And I I mean I didn't expect him to do much. I guess he really hasn't done much of anything right now, but he's not a guy you're going to look to to make a difference on your team. You know what was funny is when I was on my way back home, I was traveling for the day for the uh, the day that he got uh, signed by the Ducks. Okay. And I was like, I just saw Chris Kelly pop up on my notifications, <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't know who that was. Like, I know there is a Chris Kelly. I know yeah. he played for Boston. But I didn't think they would go out and sign him. I just For whatever reason, I missed the news that they were talking about signing him. And I was like, oh, maybe an AHL guy that they're you know, they resign now. Are they going to put this guy in their system? And I open it up, and I'm like, Wait, what? <laughs> he's he's he played for Canada in the Olympics. Who who is yeah. this guy? I, I had no idea who that guy was. So I guess I when everyone said he's known for speed and Chimera's known for speed, and it's going to make a difference in the fourth line. I'm just kind of like, where is he just going too fast? I can't see him. I know it's a, a bad joke, but I mean honestly, I just haven't noticed him. Um, the guy that I'm kind of just wondering where he went because I I felt like he was an energetic player as well was JT Brown. I mean, I know we're not going to see Antoine Vermette crack this lineup. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine in any two, in any, you know, in any critical games down the stretch or maybe if someone needs a break, but what's your take on JT Brown situation there? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I saw a couple tweets today talking about, you know, how is JT Brown out of the lineup when Chris Kelly is essentially taking his spot? And, and it is kind of weird. I, I feel like what we've seen from JT Brown so far is definitely a lot better than what we've seen from Chris Kelly. And, and of course, it's a small sample size on Chris Kelly. And, and it, it kind of really is a small sample size on JT Brown as well. But I, I still think he adds more to the lineup than what Chris Kelly does. And I'd, I'd honestly love to see a line of Derek Grant, Jason Chimera, and JT Brown just to see what they can bring. Uh, I agree with you that I don't think Antoine Vermat really finds his way into the lineup because um, we, we all know the only thing he really brings to the team is the ability to win face-offs, and, and that's not really pivotal enough to put him in the lineup on a regular basis, especially when you have guys like Derek Grant who provides a little bit more, like JT Brown, like Jason Chimera, guys who, who can actually do a little bit more in the lineup. So... Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing that. I, I'm a little bit disappointed he's out of the lineup because I liked what he had brought so far. So it'll be nice to see if he actually gets back in. Yeah, man, he sniped uh, King Henrik when he was in town, yeah. if you remember that. <laughs> yeah. I in that bad game by Henry that. Lundqvist. <laughs> no, I don't think anyone did. I don't, I don't think JT Brown expected to score on that shot. Um, but, but no, it'd be nice to see him get back and slotted in there. Um, and then we got to just continue to pour on the praise. I can't talk enough about how impressed I am with the way Fowler's turned his game around. Yeah. Um, you know, getting to complement his talent with other talent in Brandon Montour. And now, if we can just not talk about the third period, they were having a hell of a game through the first two periods, but then the entire Ducks team went to sleep in the third, so they all got crushed and caved in. But that Montour Fowler pairing, they need to stick with that. And I, I feel like this Montour thing. He, we talked about it, I think, last show or show before about him being a restricted free agent this summer. He's just adding dollars to his check with yeah, how well he's, game. he's performing right now. Yeah. He really uh, is. I mean, yeah. Uh, every game he seems to be getting better and better. And we brought up a chart that we put out on the Forever Money account 
from Michael McCurdy that showed that his ice time has just substantially increased over the last 20-25 games from the point where he was actually playing less than Kevin BX on a night-to-night basis and now he's playing at par if not more minutes than, than Hampus Lindholm. And even you, you look tonight as well, I mean, the two guys who played the most ice time for the Ducks were Cam Fowler and Brandon Montour. Uh, at even strength, uh, Cam Fowler played 22-19. Brandon Montour played just over 20 minutes. And you got Josh Manson and Lindholm sitting around 18-17 minutes. So it shows you the trust that this team and, and Randy Carlisle is putting in this pairing. Now, in the last few games with their ice time is really the Ducks' number one pairing, even with Lindholm and Manson together, which kind of shows you how well they've been playing together lately. Didn't have as strong as a game when you look at the numbers tonight, but I still thought they were creating chances, and I thought they looked good on the power play like we had mentioned earlier. So I think it's good. It's nice to see the Ducks have two strong pairings without even having to go out and acquire a guy at the deadline. I mean, we talked. I mean, everybody really talked about before the fact that you, know, you have four top four defensemen in your lineup. It's just necessarily finding the chemistry and putting them together. And, and that chemistry between Lindholm and Manson has always been there. And now you see the chemistry between Fowler and Montour. Uh, it's really encouraging going into the playoffs and even into the last bit of the, the regular season. No, man, it definitely is. And just kind of a little piece on uh, them not bringing another defenseman in. The rumor was that Murray was in on McDonough. And yeah. the asking price just got too big. And how that would have reshaped this roster yeah. by adding another defenseman, what we would have lost in the forward end of things. You can only imagine, like, Kasha was a piece yeah, of it. Yeah, he definitely for sure. would have It would have been Kasha for JT, or not for JT, for uh, Nemestikov. Um, and that would, who knows how that would have gone. But yeah. uh, safe to say the Ducks probably made the right choice on that one, not pulling uh, McDonough over for that giant hole that. Uh, was made by the Rangers in Tampa. Um, moving on here a little bit, I uh, got to talk to you. We'll stay on the defensive side of things. I have to talk about my my uh, my favorite Ducks player, Hampus Lindholm. Um, I'm in arguments all the time with friends, all the time on the internet with people that uh, don't like Hampus Lindholm and feel that he's not one of the top defensemen um, in the NHL that's up and coming. I mean, I'm not going to say he's there with Carlson or or yeah. with Drew Doughty or PK Subban. But it's been said by several pundits, Dmitry Filipovich, I think Travis Yost has said it across. And it, I mean, it's hard to disagree with if he was consistently putting up 50 points, 52, 53, even like between 50 and 60, he's in that dowdy range. We could be talking about a Norris trophy for this kid. Are we undervaluing him or is that about right? I kind of wanted your opinion on that before I get mine. Yeah, I think we notice him a lot more than a lot of people do. And, and I, I mean, that's the same with John Gibson, where we talked about on the last show with his possible inclusion in the Vezin discussion. And I think the same thing goes for Hampus Lindholm. And by no means do I think he's in the discussion this season. But right. if he can put up, you know, 40, 50 points in the season and couple that with his consistent defensive play and, and how well he plays for the Ducks, I think he, you put him in the discussion, especially when, you know, points are obviously a big thing in the Norris discussion every year, and you had sent me uh, an article that showed the margin uh, of points and and which guys have won the Norris based on how many points they have. And and you look at last year, well, the the number one guy in points for defense was Brent Burns. He ends up winning the Norris. Two seasons before, they have Eric Carlson, who had 66 points. He was leading leading defenseman in points. He won the Norris. Uh, P.K. Subban before that, Eric Carlson again. 
and really the only anomaly in between that is Drew Doughty in 2015-2016, where he had 51 points and the leader had 82, but he still won the Norris and he was at 62.2% of, of what the, the leader had in points. So I think if Lindholm can kind of get around that number, uh, if you look at his points right now, he's got 24 and the leader in John Klingberg has 56. So that puts him at about 58.2% of what Klingberg has. So he's not quite in that, you know, 60 to 70 range that kind of puts him in the discussion because points matter. But if he can get up there and I I think he has the ability to do that, then you kind of have to consider him in this, in the discussion based on his defensive play. No, I mean, and I don't want to take anything away uh, from Klingberg. He's been just a monster this season. He's been so good. He's, he's deserving of all the praise. Honestly, I, I'm not putting Hampus anywhere in that, but I mean, you got to say he's a top ten guy. I feel like, and he just needs that offensive ability that he has to come out. He's taking a lot more chances. You see him in the rushes with the Ducks. He'll come out of the out of the uh, the defensive zone, make a pass, and like be expecting a give and go pass to drive uh, into the into through the neutral zone into the offensive zone. And I don't know if he's just not. Con- I mean, obviously he's just not converting on these plays. And maybe he's just not making the best of his chances. But if he found a way to do it, I don't see why he couldn't be talked about. Because he's he's a great two-way player. He's always back on D2. He's, he's got tough assignments. Um, I know I don't think we've seen him a lot on the power play. I mean, obviously not on the first power play unit. Um, but he definitely plays the penalty kill. So he's a responsible guy and somebody that Ducks really trust. I just hope eventually he gets up there and finds his uh, offensive spark. Yeah, I think he's deserving if he gets up there and has that, you know, if he shines with that offensive ability that we, we kind of know he has. He's obviously not in that upper echelon of offensive defensemen like no. Kimberg, like Subban, Carlson, Brent Burns, all those guys. He's never going to be a guy that can hit 50, 60, 70 points. Maybe he can do it once in a season, but he has to have a really, really good season and be put in pretty much all the opportunities to succeed, like on the first power play unit, like you mentioned. But. There, there's no question I think he's a guy who can, can hit 40, maybe 45, 50 points in a good year. And, and I think, you know, if you see him have those types of years, and, and then you have to look, of course, at the defensemen around him. But uh, I think there's a possibility for him to be in the in the discussion eventually in his career. I mean, he's still young. There, there's still a lot of time uh, for him to get to that point. But I, I really like referring to that Doughty season where he wasn't even really close to the leader in points but he ends up winning the Norris Trophy and it doesn't happen often majority of the time the either the leader in points for defensemen or, or somebody that's pretty close within five or six points is the guy who ends up winning the Norris Trophy but it doesn't mean it can't happen and, and I think Lindholm has a good shot if he can just up his offensive production a bit yeah and you know and I always argue for the guys like Carlson I'm a big defender of Eric Carlson when I talk to yeah. people who complain about him being a liable defensive asset on the ice and I'm like like well he doesn't play penalty kill like he plays every other situation, and yeah, you can't have I mean, him playing honestly, like 35, 40 minutes a night. I mean, no, and yeah. I mean, you put him up; I mean, he's going to be scoring. He's like yeah. a fourth forward on the ice. It's just the position he's in. He carries that Ottawa Senators team, and I'm not going to try to ride this out to be a Senators podcast. But if you're scoring seventy points as a defenseman, that puck is not in your zone. That is yeah. in the offensive zone, and the best defense at this point is to keep the puck out, right? That's your whole job is to keep it out of your blue or away from your blue line. And if you're scoring, I mean, how can you argue against that? And yeah. guys who have the puck more often than not, like Carlson has the puck all the time, 
make mistakes. You, those mistakes are more glaring because you see him with the puck all the time, right? So I feel like people notice those things with great players like that. I mean, Brent Burns is another example of that too. A lot of San Jose's offense, you know, drives through his play in the defensive zone, and he drives it up the ice. And when he makes a mistake or he doesn't score on a play, you're like, oh man, what's wrong with him? He's not scoring. It's like, dude, that guy is just running the offense right now. He can't score every shift. Yeah, I think with Eric Carlson too is he's been the victim of being on some very bad Ottawa Senators teams where a lot of people like to look at plus-minus as a determinant of defensive success or defensive ability, which it obviously isn't. But, I mean, this year, the last time I checked, and this was a couple weeks ago, he was, I believe, like around minus 30, which I think is where a lot of people get the idea that he's not, you know, he's not capable in his own end, which by no means is the truth. I mean, he's he's not the best defensive defenseman in the National Hockey League, but he's not far off. And then you add to the fact that he's a guy that can score 70, 80 points as a defenseman. How is he not the best defenseman in the National Hockey League? I mean, he, in my opinion, he is because of everything that he can provide. Uh, I don't think he's far and away the best. There's a lot of guys who are close. You look at Victor Hedman, P.K. Subban, Brent Burns. There's guys who are close up there, but... Uh, it amazes me that the Ottawa Senators are even considering trading a guy like that. I mean, you rarely see the best player in any position get traded, uh, and for his name to even be out there is just insane. So Hampus has a long way to go. We're not trying to yeah. say he's in the running. I don't want people to get it twisted that we're over here thinking that he's <laughs> the greatest defenseman ever. I'm just saying he's he's really darn good. And if you can put up the points, I don't see why he couldn't be in that discussion. He's about a little a little over halfway there to get in there to be in that, in that topic of conversation, I feel like. Yeah. But let's go ahead and, and uh, hop on over and look at the standings here. We talked about it uh, not too long ago where the Ducks had, had uh, leapfrogged into second place. Puts them right behind Vegas. Colorado um, got beat tonight as well by the Hawks. So the Chicago Blackhawks have done the Ducks a favor the past few games by losing to the Ducks and beating the Kings and beating Colorado. And then the Predators, um, another hated team for Anaheim fans, beats down the Stars, which is also a good thing for the Ducks. So Ducks are finally getting some help, it feels like, from other teams. How do you feel about this? And this puts them, I know we talked about it a little bit, but this puts them in a position in second place. Let me see, who would they be playing right now if the playoffs started today? San, San Jose with home ice. Obviously, the Ducks have one game in hand, but it would depend on how that San Jose, the San Jose next game for San Jose goes. Oh, yeah, two plays three. That's my bad. I just had to look at the standings yeah. real quick. Um, and with the Vander Kane, we already talked about him being that X factor on that team. So maybe the Ducks would be better off finishing in the uh, in that position but letting the Kings sneak into that third spot, let San Jose fall down and play the Kings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we brought it up on the, the last show. We think the Kings are a slightly better matchup than the Sharks. I think the Ducks just match up against them. Not significantly better, but a little bit better. And, you know, Evander Kane is a significant addition to that team. He's been very good for them as well since coming over and playing with Pavelski and the Sharks have, have been a pretty decent team up until that point. Uh, but, yeah, it's nice to see the Ducks be in this position. And the only thing you can kind of knock them for is you look at all the teams around them and the Ducks have 12 overtime shootout losses. That's 12 points that you've given up. And even one or two of those extra points right now would be a huge a huge deal for the Ducks in the standings. It would solidify the fact that they would be in that second spot without worrying about how the next game for San Jose goes. And that's kind of always been an issue, I think. We've always kind of looked at the Ducks' success in overtime and shootouts, and it's never really been a good thing. 
they've looked a little bit better lately, but those are important points that they've left on the board. No, it's true. You almost feel like, um, you know, how do they not figure out how to play in overtime prior to like a month ago? Yeah. Like, oh, remember, remember the day? I can't remember what team it was against. So I remember watching the game. I'm like, wait. They, yeah. they, they all of a sudden like, a light went off, and they figured out they can pull the puck out of the offensive zone and circle back and then re-enter with speed rather than trying to tough it out along the boards and then you know get outmanned on the puck and then have an odd man rush go against Gibby or Miller and then game over. I yeah, just it, I, it just feels so much better going into overtime being a Ducks fan this season. It's like a, like you said, like a switch went off, and then in that game they did it, and then pretty much every I think pretty much every overtime they've been in since then has looked significantly better than any we've seen this season or last season because they're actually playing the way you're supposed to play in, th- in three-on-three overtime and taking their time, coming back out of the zone when nothing's there, not trying too hard to make something happen out of nothing, giving the puck up. I mean, when it was really, really bad, we were all talking about how Getzlaff seemed to always do a drop pass in, in the middle of the zone trying to make something happen. Oh, and man. he Don't gave the puck up like four or five times at, at different points. <laughs> Uh, across the season, and that was like the low, low point for the Ducks in overtime. And then all of a sudden, they kind of just figured it out. Like somebody told them, hey, you guys don't have to make things happen out of nothing. You can bring it out of the zone, get a line change, to regroup, and come back in. And now they're actually playing well. And they have the guys to play well. I mean, they've got four mobile defensemen that they can throw out there. Uh, they've got a, a, a plethora of, of talented forwards to put over the boards. You know, this is a team who should be good in three-on-three three overtime, and it, it's weird that it's taken them this long to get to that point. No, but it, but thankfully they have. That's yeah. the good thing. I know it doesn't really matter going into the playoffs. I mean, it's, it's two different seasons. You you do everything you can to get seeded correctly for yeah. the tournament, which is the Stanley Cup playoffs. Exactly. So, hey, do you want to give a uh... – a little bit of a, uh, a preview of who's leading our Forever Mighty leaderboard? Yeah, I have to uh, to bring it up here. So anybody who entered today, we had probably had some new people enter today. So for these late games, uh, we'll usually update the leaderboard the morning after because I have to go through and, and look at all your submissions and add all the new people to the leaderboard. So it, it makes it difficult to get it out the night before. But uh, I believe Ricky Bradley has consistently been leading since day one. And, of course, we've only been doing this three – well, this is the third time today that we've been doing it. But the top three as of last game were Ricky Bradley, CeCe Bowen, and uh, Sanford McCann as our three stars. And and, uh, McCann was tied with about six or seven other people at two right now. So it's early. It's early, but, I mean, Ricky got off to a great start and predicted all three uh, of the, the variables we had on the first night. So he started off perfect uh, and is still leading the leaderboard. But, hey, uh, I mean, any anybody who, who's listened to this now who hasn't seen it, it's on Twitter. We try to get it on, on Instagram and Facebook as well, but it's just a lot more user-friendly to put it out on Twitter. But you can come in at any point, and as long as you either get lucky or you have some kind of inside information on the game coming up, uh, it's very, very easy to catch up in the standings. Absolutely. Do we have anybody go three for three or get anything tonight? Did anyone pick uh, oh, I Raquel don't think so. four nothing and Bieksa? Most people lost the moment Bieksa took that penalty. So, I oh, think to go the, three for three. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the majority of people had Richie. I think two or three people had BX. I'd have to go back and look through 
and see if they had also had Henrique uh, and a four nothing scoreline. I doubt it, but there there there's probably a couple of people who had at least two. Uh, but I think the majority of people are going to get either one or zero tonight. So the, again, like I said, there's a lot of uh, a lot of time and a lot of room to catch up. All right, man. So we got anything else you wanna you wanna touch on here? We've got a couple questions in the chat that we have to get to. Um, oh, cool. We had, yeah, we had a couple early, and then we had uh, a few more later on. So. Uh, Lord Rodney Strong making another appearance <laughs> on the post-game show with the first question of the night. Uh, he said, can we talk about Gibby being our savior? What was it? Caps double our shots on goal. And, and that's kind of what we've seen a lot of times with the Ducks this season. I, again, Gibby wasn't in the game against Dallas, but they got out shot 41-17, to and the Ducks were able to rely on their goaltending to, to get by. And it was the exact same situation in this game, too. No, it's true. We talked about it last game, uh, last post game, um, about him being, you know, why not being in the, you know, the Vesna conversation, and we talked about how wins factor into that. But I mean, there's a reason why Gibby even leads the Ducks three star leaderboard. He's the he's the guy that's been carrying this team all season. Um, yeah, the Ducks are out shot thirty six to eighteen, so it was on him. Um, I, I know that we kind of felt like it was a boring four nothing win, but he did have to make some good stops, and it was fortunate for a couple of them. I think hit post or or, or uh, Ovechkin or Burkowski missed their shot, but they need to do more for him. Um, yeah. uh, this defense has been pretty stingy, but um, they, just that third period. I don't want to go back into that because we dove pretty deep on how bad they are. But uh, you got to give all the kudos and all the prizes and everything to John Gibson right now. I feel like. Yeah, and it's actually been updated based on his or his his stats have been updated based on his his game tonight. So now he sits at a nine two seven save percentage, which when you're looking at goalies who played at least forty games is only second behind Pekarene, who's got a point nine two eight. He's actually in front of Vasilevsky now, who is at nine two five after a couple poor games against Philadelphia and Florida. So he's sitting right up there, and and his goals against average went down. Uh, a couple points so he's at 2.46 which is a lot nicer looking than 2.55 so he's he's trending upwards and he's kind of getting into that discussion the only thing we had talked about again is his wins he's only got 25 wins so he would pretty much have to win out and and win his next 10 games to get in that 35 win range where he would be in the discussion and he'd have to continue playing at this level I mean I don't I'm not going to put it past him because I feel like he has the ability to do that but when you've got guys like Rene and Vasilevsky who are already at, a, at such a head start, I mean, Vasilevsky's one win away from 40 and Rene's four wins away from 40, it's almost too much ground to make up at this point. So I got to ask you, just I want you to kind of think on your feet here real quick. So since oh February 9th, when uh, Gibby came back, he's, oh, how many games is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine games, including tonight. What do you think his lowest save percentage was? Oh, man. I'm trying to remember if he – I feel like he hasn't had a bad game in, in that period because this is what – I think his sixth straight win. So then two games before that. I'm going to say his lowest is probably like nine, 9-14. I, I feel like he's it been w- that good. It was that horrible, horrible game in Detroit. His save percentage was – 80.875. Uh, okay. That was his worst. But after that, his lowest is 925, and that was uh, against Chicago. The rest of the time, he's got shutout, yeah. shutout, 944, 947, 955, 949, 938. Unreal. What a time to turn he's, it on, really. Dude, he's killing it. 
and that's what nice, they need. I mean, at this at this point, I mean, Michael said here, Gibby was amazing tonight. But how many times have we said that this season, where we've come out of a, of a game and said, really, the only reason the Ducks held on is because of the play of John Gibson, and even at times the the play of Ryan Miller. Uh, and, and I guess it's not something you always want to rely on. You really don't want to always rely on your goaltending because it's not always going to be there. And the Ducks are going to have to do something to, to fix their woes in the third period where they kind of just get caved in as of late. So that's something they have to fix. But it really doesn't look like John Gibson is slowing down anytime soon. Got to give props to the captain too, man. Nine points yeah. in three games. Raquel with six goals in his last four games. So Gibby's doing the load in the third period and, and saving their butts. But, I mean, the offense has been there for the Getzoff line, which has been great. Um, but, yeah, that's all i got to say about Gibby, man. He's, he's been a beast since he's been back. Yeah. Uh, looking at the chat again, uh, we had Connor say the shutdown line is looking a lot better this week. We brought it up – well, we brought it up, I was going to say a bit, but we actually brought it up a lot on the last show. So we can, we can touch on it again here and how they've looked better. And, and obviously that – game uh, against Chicago was probably their best game of the season and I think they kind of followed it up with you know not a headlining game like the last one but I think they had a strong game I, I feel like they did a pretty decent job of I, again I'd have to check who they were paired against but I would assume it was probably either Bakshim and Ovechkin or Kuznetsov, Verona and Oshie it was one of those two lines no it's true they, they played a decent game I felt like none of them uh, stood out tonight uh, they didn't generate a ton of chances I felt like yeah. in Chicago or against Chicago they obviously did with Cogliano having breakaways and, and Kessler being involved in the play and Silverberg getting a goal or two um, definitely wasn't one of those kinds of games they were not as noticeable uh, but it's if I were to judge it based off the first two periods I'm sure they, they, they played a fine game I have to go back and break down the stats in between and I know you and I are both analytics guys. We don't like to get too dirty into those stats on the show. But that third period, it's just hard to judge overall when looking at the stats yeah. just straight on because that third period, um, I believe our favorite word this show is caved in. Um, yeah. And everybody favorite, was part of that. Uh, my favorite word pretty much over the last month for the Ducks because it's kind of a trend now. Um, I've actually got the numbers up here. So Kessler played primarily against Ovechkin, Backstrom, and Wilson, which I guess makes sense as they, they That's usually a tough compare go. him. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, we really don't know. It doesn't break it down uh, by period. So when you look at the numbers just based on the entire game, it doesn't look good. Uh, 35, Corsi 4 percentage against Ovechkin, 37 against uh, Baxter and Wilson. So it's not a good outlook of how they played. But when you actually just take an eye test and look at the game, for the first two periods, you really didn't see a ton of uh, Ovechkin and Backstrom, and, no. and really, I mean, you're not going to see a ton from Wilson unless Ovechkin and Backstrom are getting things going for him, and I'm not going to contribute to that 100% to the play of Ryan Kessler and, and that line, but I think they definitely played a role uh, in making things frustrating for Ovechkin in this game. Yeah, and you know, you can you can say whatever you want about players and all, but I mean, you're talking about probably the best goal scorer in the history of the game, or if not just his generation with Ovechkin, it's, yeah. he's going to get his looks. Unless he's having a horrible game of all horrible games, he's going to get looks every night. I mean, there's yeah. a reason why he leads the league in scoring. So, I mean, you can beat on our checking line all you want, but, I mean, he, Ovechkin beats on everybody's checking line whenever he wants every game he plays. So, I mean, like you said, the eye test, I felt like they looked all right. I thought I thought they had a decent game. Yeah, and, and again, I don't want to get off topic here, but this is something that's been on my mind, especially because of how well he played tonight. And it's it, not Ducks-related, so I'm not going to spend too long on it. But Uh-oh. it's kind of burning Uh-oh. a hole 
in my we head. We do it every every show. We do it every show. We yeah. go on some little <laughs> tangent about somebody else not on Anaheim. So Patrick Laine had a hat trick tonight. So he's Beast. up to 38 goals. Uh, that puts him at, uh, what would that be, 74 goals in 138 games. He's still 19. Um, and they were looking at how I, th- I think he's now passed Sidney Crosby for, for most goals as a teenager in the last, I believe, since the 90s. There's a, a few guys in front of him, not many, and, and the guys who are in front of him are some pretty big names like Gretzky and Dale Horachuk, among others. Yeah, but is, they played in the video game hockey age. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> looking at, I mean, it's hard to project the future and, and everything, and that has a lot to do with the team you're playing on, but do you think Patrick Laine is going to be a better goal scorer than Alex Ovechkin. Ah, uh, it's a tall order, man. Yeah, that's a real tall order. I mean, Ovi had, I want to say, a hundred points his first season. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. But even I back then, so. they were scoring. A lot of guys were scoring over fifty goals, and I maybe mean, not a lot, but more than you see now. So you, you, you. Do, I mean, we talk about error adjusting when we go way back, but even back when Ovi started, I feel like goal scoring was at a little bit higher rate than it is now. And it's definitely too early to really say. It, it is, but if but I mean just based on on what his what his output is right now and he's he's on a really good team surprisingly. We I mean I don't think anyone expected the Jets to be as good as they are and he's he's got yeah. great line mates too. Yeah. Um he's definitely a great player. I, that's just such a tall order. Oh, he's at 598 right now mm-hmm. for his career and he's, you know, he's supposed to be regressing and he's leading the NHL in goals uh, in, in an era where scoring has come down a little bit. So yeah. I think Lyon is going to be an elite scorer. I just don't see him putting up the, the monster numbers that Ovechkin yeah. has. Uh, but I could be wrong. I mean, easily wrong, obviously. Yeah, and for a last note on this, we talk about players going on a tear. I'm just going to add it up real quick here. But just looking at my phone here and the amount of goals – Patrick Laine has over the last, I think it's 10 or so games here. So it's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Over his last nine games, he's had a goal in every one but one. And he has 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 13 goals in his last nine games. Adding he's killing that, it. Six assists. So if you're going to turn it on points. at any point, it's now. And the goal scoring is just insane. Even in his last five games, he has nine goals. So he's, nice he's scoring it, two man. goals per game, which is insane. But anyway, we're, we're going to get away from Patrick Line. He was just kind of burning a hole in my head, especially with the fact that he's no, like 38. No, I get it. So. Especially when we talk about Raquel, and like we're all like screaming yeah. for joy. Raquel's got six goals in four games, and you bring up those stats about Line A, and <laughs> it makes everybody who's a Ducks fan's like head explode. Uh, I, I didn't even realize, you know, and, and I know Line A, and I watch him play, and I just didn't realize he had that much of an output as of late. But those are insane numbers. Yeah, and uh, so getting back to the chat, because I don't want to get too far away from it. So uh, Jacob said, uh, Gibby was great, but I'll be honest, I didn't feel there were really any danger. Maybe there are some high danger chances I missed. So I, I kind of agree. I, I don't think there was a lot of high danger chances that, that the Capitals had. And if you look at their numbers, 5-on-5, five five, they had 13 high danger chances for So there wasn't a ton but I feel like when Gibby was called upon, especially the one that comes to mind is when Burakovsky was left alone in the slot and Gibby yeah. gets a, a shoulder, I believe it was, on this uh, on that shot. I mean, he was good when he was called upon. There wasn't any highlight reel saves that we're used to seeing from Gibson, but it was just really strong, solid play throughout the game. And, and that's almost just as good 
is making one or two highlight reel saves and coming out of it with a win or making 36 saves in a strong effort where you really didn't look like you had to do much. I mean, we consistently see that from Carey Price where he'll face 40 shots and look like he it was an easy night because of just how well he played and how how strong he was in the net. I felt like um, that the rebounds were cleaned up. The, 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 yeah. I felt like the, that they didn't get a ton of, of chances to bang away at the puck in front of Gibby, which I felt like helped. There wasn't a bunch of uh, net mouth scrambles in front of Gibson and he had to make saves, and I know the Caps kind of missed some chances, as we said with Ovi. But but Gibby was Gibby was strong. But I would I would kind of lean on the side of what you guys were saying too that it didn't seem like it was these these crazy chances that he that he had to block her aside or glove aside. Yeah, yeah, I, I think he had a strong game without having to make the highlight real saves we're used to seeing from him. Um, last question, but still all the praise to him because he did face oh, yeah. an onslaught in the third period. Not taking anything away from his game, we just praised For sure, him. I'm not yeah. saying that, but we're just kind of used yeah. to seeing a highlight reel or two from John Gibson. Um, Absolutely, so it's kind of nice to see him come out with the shutout in a game where he didn't really have to do that. Just because, you know, I think like you said, the the rebounds were kind of controlled in this game. He didn't like give up a lot of good chances, and, and the best chances that the Capitals had, he either saved or you have the Carlson one where it ended up hitting the post. So. I think it was right. a, a strong effort really all around. It wasn't his best game of the season, but you can't really say it was a bad game considering he had a shutout, right? So yep. uh, I'm not going to be too hard on him. But uh, Mr. Zuni had the last question of the, twi- uh, of the chat. I guess something messed up with the chat because it's asked four times. So he says, uh, what is the status of Patrick Eves and do you think he'll come back this year? Well, they said he's going to be practicing with the team. Um, That tells me just based off of, you know, the history of when players come back that they're just going to see if he's ready. Yeah. Um, I'm sure his conditioning based on uh, his illness is probably not where it was when he was prepping for the season back in training camp and when he saw the early parts of the season. But I think he's going to give it a go, and that's where Bob Murray and Randy Carlisle are going to have to make a decision. And Eves himself, if he feels good. I mean, because the Ducks are going to obviously put his health in front of everything else, and I, I would hope that Eves would do the same. Um, obviously, he wants to come back and play for the team. Um, I don't really, and, and I guess it's kind of a cheesy way out, but I don't really want to take a guess on if a guy's healthy enough to come back and play because I feel like this injury is not something that we can just look at from the, a standpoint of it's a broken bone, there's there's screws in it, or just got to heal, yeah. he's got a, a shoulder injury. It's This is an illness that's going to affect him uh, for however long it does. And if he feels good enough to come back, sure. But I, I would venture to guess that things are looking up for him, considering he's coming back and practicing with Anaheim. Yeah, and, and I kind of agree with you. I don't want to get into the discussion of when or if he's going to come back this season because of the uniqueness of, of the injury and the illness. You just really don't know. And, and yeah, I mean, it's a cop-out answer. I, I, I don't know, so I'm not going to really get into a, a really in-depth discussion. It's nice to see he's back practicing, but I believe, like you said, it's kind of just testing to see where he's at. Um, they said that, I think Bob Murray said that he will probably be back next season, which I guess is a good sign because that means things are trending in the right direction. Uh, but as for this season, I feel like he probably doesn't get in for the regular season if if he does it would be for the last few games to prepare for the playoffs but in my opinion just looking at how the situation is developing I I just feel like he probably doesn't play at all this season and they kind of just rest him and make sure he's 100% healthy and ready to go for the start of next season where would you slot him in 
Yeah, that's a tough thing because we, we've talked about how even next year, when if the Ducks were looking to bring in players, that top nine is kind of just solidified. There's not really any room to move guys out. I feel like the only guy you probably move down is Nick Ritchie. Um, I would have done that. Or do you put him up there on the top line and move Perry down? Yeah, like I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have split out that line a week ago when they were playing well. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's tough with Perry because he has a game or two where he looks great, and then he has a game where he kind of disappears for a bit, and then he comes back and plays well. Uh, and I think a lot of that is being able to play with Ryan Getzlaff. I was just going to say he relies yeah. a lot on our captain. Yeah, but but I think Patrick Eves kind of has that spot with Ryan Getzlaff based on their chemistry last season. And I feel like it, he kind of just fits on that line with Raquel and Getzloff because Raquel's playing on the left wing, Getzloff's playing center, Eves fits in right on that right wing, uh, and then you can move Perry down maybe to the Henrik and Cash line to give that, that you know, maybe they'll spark him and his offense down on that line because it's a little bit more of an energy line, and I feel like they're going to do a lot of the work for checking for Perry, uh, and then he can kind of just do what he does best and maybe he'll he'll benefit from being on a line like that. But, it, I mean, it, it's all speculation right now. I mean, we don't really don't know if he's going to come back, but I feel like that's where he would slot in if Eves was to come back uh, even next season. Yeah, so we just hope the, you know, the best for him and his and his health and, and uh, that he'll be back at some point. I just, we're just not sure. So, yeah. we got any more questions in the chat, or do you want to put a bow on this and call it a night? Yeah, I, th- I think we'll put a bone. I mean, J- it's not a question, but Jacob says for the thir- putting um, Eves on the third line, dropping Richie down. So, yeah, I, I think he kind of just see that too. With us. Yeah. So, uh, wrapping up on things, uh, we'll look at the next two games coming up because there is no game on the weekend. So we got Nashville on Thursday and Dallas on Friday. Back to back games on the road does not get easier for the Ducks. I mean, these. I mean, these two teams played tonight. Nashville uh, blanked the Stars 2 nothing, But, you know, this Nashville game is probably going to be the hardest one. But the Stars are no easy feat. And they're a team the Ducks are fighting with for that last wild card spot if it came down to that. So these are two important games, to say the least. Yeah, and I put you on the spot. And uh, you picked the Ducks to lose on Thursday. And I said <laughs> I felt like I, I would, I would uh, agree with you on that. And we picked the win on, uh, on Friday against the Stars. Yeah, I think I'm going to keep my bets the same on that, just based on how well Nashville's playing. Yeah, and Gibby probably has to start against Nashville, you would think, especially because I mean, not just because of how well he's been playing and Nashville's the better team, but I think you look back to how Miller played against Dallas as well in the last game that that he started. I think it kind of just makes sense to have Gibby on the Thursday and Miller on the Friday. And you can't sit back against this Nashville team like like the Ducks did against the Caps in the third. Can't no. wait. And be caved in. You got to be consistent. The Ducks could beat them. I'm not saying they don't have a chance, but if I'm a betting man, I, I would probably take the loss. Unfortunately, I, don't, I hate doing that because I obviously love our team and I hate the Preds, but uh, it's just the way I see it. Yeah, I want to. I'm going to check before we wrap this up. I want to see if the Predators have a back-to-back that that game. So they play us on Thursday, and then they play New Jersey on Saturday. So I was trying to see if we might escape playing Pecorine, but. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't look like it. And Nashville's on a roll. They have won nine games in a row. Yeah, they're killing Going into a home game against the Ducks. So, yeah, it it does not get easier for the Ducks. This is probably their toughest matchup of the season to this point. 
uh, facing a national team who's arguably the best team in the National Hockey League coming in on a nine-game winning streak. If you can if you can play well and, and show that you can beat a team like this, I think that does wonders for their confidence heading forward. And that would be the fourth straight win for the Ducks as well if they were able to pull out that win. I mean, they need it for sure. But uh, that's it for us, guys. But before we go, we kind of want to mention something about, you know, where Eddie and I, um, we've been working alongside Ducks and Pucks. If you guys don't know already, Eddie is a co-host of that show. They do a weekly Ducks recap show. You should definitely check them out. Eddie, what are you guys recording next? Yeah, so we're actually recording tomorrow uh, early in the morning. So we have a, um, a, a I guess, a tweet out on, uh, on the Ducks and Pucks Twitter page. If you guys want to ask any questions for the show, we'll take them. Just uh, make sure you use the hashtag AskDMP so we can find it because sometimes it, it takes us forever to find some of the tweets to ask for questions. But, yeah, so we're, we're recording tomorrow. Should be out later in the day. We're just going to recap everything that's gone on, and it kind of complements what, what we've got going here with the postgame show. Absolutely. Well, that's it for us, guys. Hope you guys have a great night. Thanks for tuning in and listening to us. You know where to find us on Spreaker, on Twitter, on Instagram, and Facebook, Forever Mighty. You can even catch us on YouTube and SoundCloud. Check us out. Leave us a review. Go to Google Play if we're there. I still need to check that. Definitely go to iTunes if you guys could do us a huge favor. If you guys are still listening, leave us a review and subscribe. We would love you guys forever for that. And uh, we'll talk to you guys on Thursday night. Have a great one.